1: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Growing up as a boy, every Sunday my father would turn on the radio and listen to a radio preacher. Every Sunday I listened to a song. It was sung by the King's Herald. The preacher was HMS Richards, one of the first men to be on radio on a regular basis. Later in life I would become close friends with HMS Richards. He inspired me and called me to do radio and so I began doing radio when I was in college. And I've been in radio almost constantly since that time. But this song he would have played or his quartet would sing before every broadcast. I want to share it with you. It is deeply rooted in my heart and in my love for Jesus Christ. The text is this. Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Take heart, ye pilgrims, rejoice now and sing. Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. Nations are angry. By this we do know. Jesus is coming again. Knowledge increases. Men run to and fro. Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. again. Jesus is coming again. Fierce fires and earthquakes. Confirm to the throng, Jesus is coming again. Trumpets and whirlwinds. The anthem prolongs. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. Shout from the hilltops. The joyful refrain. Refrain. Jesus is coming again, coming in glory. The lamb that was slain. Jesus is coming again. Coming again. Coming again. Jesus is coming again. That refrain plays through my mind many times. Even yet, Jesus is coming again. Now, the Apostle Paul, in some of his last words to Timothy, just before he is martyred, mentions a distinct form of love for Jesus when he speaks of a crown of righteousness which the Lord would not only give to him in the day of his coming, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. Now you find that passage of Scripture in Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading for you in verse 8. For I am now ready for my blood to be poured out. Indeed, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. As for what remains? There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. But not only to me only, but to all the ones having loved his appearing. Now today, many thousands of people, believers, profess to love Jesus Christ. And yet there is not an assurance that they love him with all of their hearts, there are so many who testify to loving him, but they have no particular interest or love for his returning to this world. Now, unless a believer has reached the experience of a definite, passionate affection for the personal appearing of Jesus, his love is not up to the full measure of love as set forth either in the Song of Solomon, or the Epistles, or the Book of Revelation. It is a singular fact that throughout the New Testament we are not taught to fasten our eyes on the grave, but on the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. You know the passage where Paul says, As oft as you do this, ye do show forth the Lord's death. Not talking about your death. He's talking about Jesus' death. Until he comes. We're to show forth the death of Jesus until he comes. Occupy not until you die, but until I come. And again, hold fast, not till you die, but until I come. Over and over again, we're told that we're to serve the living and true God and to wait not for the grave, but to wait for Jesus to come from heaven. Look at First 1 Thessalonians one ten. It's true, many generations have died, and the present generation may die before the Lord comes, but the scriptures always speak of the Lord's coming as, quote, at hand, unquote. I remember as a young man thinking to myself, Jesus is coming again, and do I want him to hold off his coming so that I can finish college? Do I want him to hold off until I can get married and have children? And I struggled with that because I wanted Jesus to come But I also wanted to have a family, and I wanted to be able to work in the vineyard as a pastor. Of course, that simply reflected my utter immaturity and rawness of mind. How is it possible that you could have a sweetheart or a wife separated by duty to country Or separated by the necessity of work, and then have no interest in meeting them at the airport when they come home to visit. You'd say that's insane. Of course, you'd be right there to greet them with hugs and kisses, with gifts. Of course, we would, because we love them. Our heart overflows. We don't love them to think fondly about them while they're absent. We look forward to the date of their return. Because then we're going to have such a wonderful time going places and doing things and being together and playing and laughing and touching and hugging and going out to eat and doing all the things that husbands and wives do. And so with Jesus, every successive generation of saints has been commanded to keep their eyes on the coming of Jesus and to lovingly and longingly wait for his appearing. But how many thousands of people there are who would find it very difficult to give a prompt answer to, the, in the affirmative to the question, do you now love the appearing of the Lord. Do you want him to come back? Is your heart set on it? Is everything else in your life secondary to the return of Jesus Christ? Would you be glad to see him riding down on that great bright cloud or whatever it is? Would your heart rejoice at the sound of the last trumpet? Can your whole heart say, Oh Jesus, come, come quickly. The ardent love of our Lord's appearing, it is an experience that brings a vividness to the personality of Jesus. When we are longing for the return of a loved one, we look with fondness at close they have left behind we look with great eagerness for the day of their return it makes everything come alive it gives a distinctiveness to heavenly things which otherwise seem so far away as to be almost unreal as a telescope does not create heavenly bodies or multiply the objects on their surface, but they simply draw the heavenly object closer to us and renders it far more real and impressive. When I look at the moon through a powerful pair of binoculars, it seems that I could reach out my hand and touch the moon. How often I have sat beside a lake as the moon rose and see the beams playing across the water and say to myself, Oh, how I wish Jesus would come down and walk that that path across the lake like he walked out to the disciples as they were in the boat. This form of love for Christ's appearing seems to pierce this misty veil that hangs over heavenly things and events and they somehow, this love for Jesus coming and this focus on the coming of Jesus gives to us a a spiritual understanding and a scriptural reality. This degree of love brings us into more conscious fellowship with the humanity of Jesus and works sweet and wonderful transformation in our minds. It becomes the central focus of our life. We want to actually see him as he is. We want to see him come in the clouds of glory. We want to hear the trumpet blast. Jesus is coming again. This focus on the coming of Jesus keeps our mind focused on what the final end of this journey will be as we are reunited with our Lord and our Master and our Savior. Remember that old hymn? The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. And grace. The more we look to Jesus, the more eager we are for his return. This morning, in the early hours of this morning, I was on my face before God saying, Lord Jesus, come. You see what's happening in this world, you see the pain and the suffering, you see the anguish of the human heart you see the loneliness of my heart for you, Jesus. Would you quickly come? Would you quickly come? Will you stop the murder of babies, the genocide of your people? Jesus, would you come again now? Sometimes, pictures form in my mind. I wondered if one day Jesus was not walking with Gabriel and perhaps a few other angels down those golden streets of that great city, the New Jerusalem. And I wonder, I wonder as they walked, if Gabriel did not say to Jesus, Jesus, Aren't you lonely for your people? Aren't you lonely for your bride? Jesus, when are you going to go and get your bride? The city is all prepared. The houses are all here. Everything is ready for your bride to come. When are you going to go and get your bride, Jesus? I think Jesus may have even shed tears and I'm sure all he could say is the father knows he knows best when he says it's time we'll all go together and we'll get my bride do you understand how important it is for us to begin to understand the feelings of God to understand how necessary it is to be in touch with the feelings of God we're so centered in ourselves we're so centered in our own feelings and our own desires and our own thoughts and our own philosophies and wisdoms what about Jesus Jesus We at least have one another to fellowship with. He wants his bride. He wants the murder and rape of his bride to stop. Do you understand Jesus loves you? There are many portions of Scripture that we read and they seem vague. They're almost dreamlike. It's as though we're looking at mountains afar off and we don't know how far it is to the mountains. They're just a, a shadow on the horizon. But when we begin to focus on the appearing of Jesus Christ, it becomes a blessed reality to our faith. And our hearts begin to leap with hope. The hope of seeing Jesus again soon. The hope of seeing him appear. And then this gauze-like veil that mantled so many scriptures is at once lifted And all the passages begin to wheel into line. We begin to understand and interpret them properly because everything is around Christ's personal return on the earth. The gathering together of the Jews, the apostles sitting on the twelve thrones, the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. There's so many prophecies in the scripture. And these now begin to take a common sense practical form Because our focus, our eyes are on Jesus and his coming and not on the foolishness that's going on in the world around us. And our reality begins to be transformed into Jesus first, foremost, always. And now suddenly the way we spend our money changes. We see the necessity of building the kingdom of God. These trinkets that we waste ourselves upon become unimportant. One man said to me, I've reserved every possible dollar I have to advance the kingdom of God. And literally, he lives a very simple life, a minimum amount of expense, And every dollar he has goes to supporting and building the kingdom of God. And I'm very grateful that it also supports this radio broadcast. You see, when we begin to focus on Jesus and on his return and how hungry our hearts are to see him, everything else just fades away into insignificance. There are many who say they never bother themselves about the coming of Jesus. They say the main thing is to be ready. Well, that's true. But the reason we want to be ready is so we can spend eternity with the man we love, with Jesus. Getting ready Getting ready to go on a trip to Hawaii doesn't mean a thing if we do not have a plane ticket to go to Hawaii. Why should I pack my bags and pretend I'm going on a trip when I don't have a ticket to go visit Israel? That would be foolish, wouldn't it? And frankly, I would not have much motivation to pack clothes in a, in a suitcase. If I didn't know I was actually going to go on the trip, I have never practiced packing my suitcases, have you? No, come on, we don't practice packing our suitcases to go on some imaginary trip when we don't have any idea that we're actually going to go. No, I want to actually go to heaven. So I'm packed and ready. I want to go to Jesus. He's the one I love. He has stolen my heart with his mercy and love and compassion. He's stolen my heart with his integrity and his righteousness, his glorious love. He's stolen my heart. Has he stolen your heart? According to the New Testament, no one is really ready for the coming of Jesus who is not in the heart attitude of patiently waiting, expectantly waiting for him. If you don't love the appearing of Jesus Christ, you are simply a philosophic Christian. You are a principled Christian. You are not a true lover of Jesus Christ. Anyone who truly loves Jesus Christ wants with all their heart to be with him and their expectation is that Jesus is going to come. And I hear people say, but pastor, look how many people have thought Jesus was going to come and he didn't come. Oh, but he is coming. The word is very clear. He's coming back again. And when he comes, it's going to be lightning streaking across the sky. He's not going to sneak in and snatch you up. He is going to come in glory and power. And every eye will see him. And the nations will tremble in fear before him. I'm going to read that to you in just a moment. But let me put it this way. When we really love to see Jesus come, nothing else will be of bother to us. When we really want Jesus to come, money and giving to the work of the gospel will no longer be an issue. We will gladly give everything we can for the work of Jesus Christ. If we do not have a passionate, ardent, on-fire love for the appearing of Jesus, we're just Short. We are shy. We do not have New Testament Christianity in our lives. That's the simple fact of it. Now, Jesus is asked by his disciples in Matthew, the 24th chapter. He has just been talking about the temple. And I've seen the stones cast down. He says, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. All that's left is a little bit of the wall. And I've stood at that wailing wall, and I have wailed at the wailing wall. I stood there with both of my hands up against that wailing wall with my forehead tight against that stone, saying, Jesus, please come back now. He said that everything was going to be cast down. And it is. He says in Matthew 24, in response to the disciples asking, what's the sign of your coming? And what's the sign of the end of the age? And and then in Matthew 24, we have a mixed response Not a scientific response. We have Jesus describing both what's going to happen to Jerusalem at the end of that age when Jerusalem will be burned, the Jews will not be allowed to return to Jerusalem for some 500 years, and then he also describes what's going to happen in his coming in glory and power. He writes, watch out that no one deceives you many are going to come in my name claiming I'm the Christ and will deceive many Allah has come Mohammed has come and they say I am the Christ and they are deceivers they are not the Christ they belittle Jesus and call him just a prophet But, of course, they're lying because if Jesus were a good man and a prophet, he could not say that he is God, and his claim was that he was God. So he's either who he says he is or he's a liar and he's not a good man. But that's the confusion of Allah, the Mesopotamian moon god. Allah is not the god I serve. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Oh, we have that right now, don't we? Korea, Syria, Russia, China. The whole world is becoming on fire with wars and rumors of war. All of my life, America has been at war. I've never seen America at peace. These are just the beginnings of the birth pangs. Then he talks about being handed over, persecuted, and Christians are being persecuted. It happened also before the fall of Jerusalem. But it applies to both. And then in verse 12 of Matthew 24, he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The verb is, in the Greek for grow cold, literally means a gentle breeze blows across the water and cools it, chills it slowly. Well, that's what's happening today. Television, movies, American culture, everything on mainstream media, it's all geared in direct opposition to Jesus in order to cool your ardor and to homogenize you and dumb you down and cause you not to be filled with fervor for the coming of Jesus. It's all by design. Verse 13, But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, that was fulfilled. The entire then world known by the disciples, the then known Roman world, they covered that with the gospel. But now, according to Mark, there is another proclaiming of the gospel in accord with this passage in Matthew. There is the promise of one last great revival at the end of time when the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be proclaimed and a standard of righteousness is going to be lifted up. And that's why on this broadcast I'm continually speaking about revival, talking about men and women being turned from the wickedness of this world, turned back to Jesus, and make a decision. Today I will get right with Jesus. And then he says, verse 26. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert. Do not go out. Or here he is in the inner room. Do not believe it. In other words, don't believe in a secret Jesus. Verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east and is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then it says, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather or the eagles will gather it can be translated either way look up in the scripture those passages dealing with eagles and vultures and you will find that this is an indicator of the judgment of God against wickedness when Jesus comes he's coming both as redeemer and as judge. The sun then will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken, as the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Jesus is coming again. Coming again. Coming again. Jesus is coming. Again. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40 Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Everybody's not going. Only those who are righteous will be able to go have been transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus. Verse 44, So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then he immediately moves into a terrifying parable. Chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and the word literally in the Greek means to be careless. Careless in the sense of not making preparation. And five were wise. That is, they take care of business. They do what is necessary. They are prepared. The five who are foolish took their lamps, but didn't take any oil with them. They have a, a form of godliness, but they have no power. Now, Divide the church right down the middle. On the right side are the wise, and on the left side are the foolish. In other words, Jesus is saying half of those who call themselves Christians will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's terrifying to me. Half will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the bridegroom is delayed. He's a long time in coming. And they all become drowsy and end up taking a nap, falling asleep. And it looks forward to a time in the church when when things are kind of sleepy and drowsy. Now in our day most churches are not sleepy and drowsy anymore because they brought the devil in with his music and with his entertainment and so there is an artificial excitement in the church it's not an excitement about the coming of Jesus it's not an excitement about the second return of Christ it's an excitement about the cultural benefits that we're able to receive I was in a church office this week. And the pastor was there in the office and we spoke. And he said to us, I went to Wolf Trap last night. Oh, really? Well, what did you see? Well, it was a, a an orchestra playing the theme line for a Harry Potter movie. And so they had the Harry Potter movie on the screen and the entertainment the live music was being played and he took his family and his children and he thought this was great a pastor taking his children to a harry potter m- movie harry potter i know what it is i've in order to talk about it i've actually read all of the Harry Potter books. I can't speak about it if I don't know what it is. And I'm just saying to you, the books, by Rowling, on Harry Potter, she says they were dictated to her. She said they did not come out of my own mind. I simply sat and took down the dictation as it was given to me. Now, if you've read these books, you will quickly recognize that these books are raw witchcraft. And they are done in a very entertaining manner, a captivating manner. Remember, I shared with you that the love of most will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. Let me be specific. Because of the Harry Potter movies and books the chill wind of the demonic is blowing across the hearts and lives of Christian people who are consuming them and wickedness is increasing in their lives and the children are being taught the art of witchcraft. The occult is strong and growing in America. The Wiccans or the Wiccans the witchcraft, the pagan religions, the worship of Moloch, and the ancient gods of paganism. All of this is springing up now in America. The Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, all of this is springing up in America. The land that was given to Jesus Christ, the Christian nation, is being destroyed. The love of most is growing cold because of the increase in wickedness. But Jesus is coming again. You see, I've I've read the end of Revelation. I always when I pick up a new book, you know what I do? I always go and read the last chapters just to make sure I'm going to enjoy the ending. If I don't enjoy the ending, I I will not read the book. So I went to the end of Revelation and I read it. And you know what I found? I found that Jesus wins. And I found that the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. Did you know there's a great fault that runs right through the middle of the Mount of Olives? Jesus is going to come down and step on that mountain and it is going to divide and make a great plain and the new Jerusalem is going to come down and rest on the Mount of Olives. Oh, how I stood on the Mount of Olives, lifted my hands before the Lord and praised his name and said, this will be my home for eternity. I looked longingly into the sky. I tried to catch a glimpse of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Tears came down my face because I could not see my home coming yet. But I want to tell you my home coming is soon. It's not far off. Jesus is coming again. You're right. I'm consumed by this. I'm consumed by my love for Jesus Christ and by his love for me and his love for you. He desires that you would spend eternity with him. So now we have two classes of people in the church. We have the class of people in the church who do not prepare And we have the class of people who make careful preparation. Now it takes time and energy to make careful preparation. I have some people who who come to church and they only want to gain some inspiration to fill their tank so that they can go back home and continue the life that they have become accustomed to. These are the foolish virgins. They expect to come to church and have some inspiration, some entertainment, some nice stories to have their children go to Sunday school. They want a break, and so this is a wonderful break for them. And frankly, they're only going to choose a church that has a program for their children that they feel good about because they want that break. And then they're going to go back to living their fast pace, push, push, push life with no time for Jesus, no time for scripture and prayer, no time to prepare for the coming of Jesus. The scripture calls them the five foolish virgins. Why virgins? Well, because they have separated themselves from Satan. They now say, I love Jesus. But their love for Jesus doesn't go very far in the coin of the realm. And so they want church to feed them. Did you know why we go to church? We go to meet the need of Jesus to be loved and worshipped and fellowshiped with We go to church to be equipped for ministry, service in the kingdom of God. We go to church to let Jesus speak to us. The word says, don't neglect gathering together even more as you see the end of time coming. We gather in church to love Jesus and to love each other, to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to recognize that Jesus is Lord, to recognize that we are just temporary aliens here, Now, at midnight, a cry rings out. Here's the bridegroom. Come on out to meet him. And the custom in that day was that the bridegroom would build a new addition on his father's house. And when the addition was finished, he would go for his bride. And there would be a big party at the bridegroom's house that would last a week. Or longer, you remember the wedding feast in Cana where they ran out of wine? Well, in that day the bridegroom comes and he has virgins that attend him as he walks with the bride back to his father's house. The bridesmaids. Well, as the bridegroom comes to get the bride to walk back together to where the wedding feast is prepared and the wedding service will be performed. All of the virgins wake up and they immediately begin to trim the wicks of their, of their lamps so that they'll burn brightly. But the foolish ones, they say to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. The reply was, no, there may not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Always it's go and buy. Well, how do you buy the oil? We've said many times probably the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit, but that's not an adequate answer. You have to go and buy righteousness, That's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. He brings righteousness to us that our lamps will burn brightly. Having a heart of forgiveness and mercy for another. Recently someone said to me, Pastor, I have no judgments against you. I forgive you. Those were the sweetest words I could have heard. No judgments, no accusations. I forgive you. I love you. That precious one found extra oil for her lamp. We get the extra oil by obeying the word of Jesus. To believe the word of Jesus is the same as to obey the word of Jesus. In the Greek, they're interchangeable. Believe, obey. It's the same thing. If you don't obey, you don't believe. So to get that extra oil, we spend time reading the scriptures. We spend time praying. We spend time crying out to God, weeping interceding for the lost, obeying the Holy Spirit as he orders our steps. It's not by legalism. It's all by grace. It's all by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And as we obey the Holy Spirit, as we walk out this gospel message, we are filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the virgins who were ready went in with the bridegroom to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Well, later the others came. Sir, sir, they said, Uh, they, they pounded on the door. They said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Why? Because you never spent any time with me. You were always too busy. You were doing your business. You were doing your family stuff. You were doing this and that. You had no time for me. You didn't bother to obey the word of the Lord. You didn't bother to walk forgiving your enemy. You didn't stop gossiping. You didn't turn aside from pornography. You didn't turn aside from lying and cheating and stealing. What are you doing today that would cause the Lord to shut the door of heaven in your face? Today is the day of salvation. Will you turn today? And will you renounce the works of darkness right now? Will you renounce the busyness? Will you renounce the focus on self and world and flesh? And will you surrender to Jesus Christ? Will you come now to the foot of the cross and allow Jesus to pull you through in a complete dying to self And a complete resurrection in his glory. Will you stop making excuses for why you don't have any oil? Will you begin to do those things that you must do in obedience to the Holy Spirit that you can walk with the bridegroom into heaven? He says. Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Will you make that decision now? Lord Jesus, you see the heart of every person listening and you see whether they have oil or whether they're the foolish virgin. Lord, change our hearts and make us love your appearing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now I've been spending much time praying about the finances for this broadcast. We were almost taken off the air last month because there was no money to pay for June. I don't want that to happen with July. So I'm asking please would you if prompted by the Holy Spirit send a generous gift for Pilgrim's Progress. You can go on the internet to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com and click on the donate button. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 My brother, my sister Jesus is coming again. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Before the presence of His glory, you great joy. With great joy.